The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Falato on Football here on the Big Blue View Radio Network. I am Nicholas Falato here to talk about this Sunday slate, this Giants list Sunday slate since the Giants ended up losing 30-29 to to the Washington football team on Thursday night football. Myself, Joe DeLeon, Chris Flum, Ed Valentine, and the crew will all be discussing that. But this podcast is more centralized around the National Football League and everything that's going on in the National Football League. And we had a bunch of really, really interesting games on this slate. We got to see the Raiders on a short week traveling to Pittsburgh because remember they won that emotional game against the Baltimore Ravens on Monday Night Football. We saw them without their star running back go to Pittsburgh and beat the Pittsburgh Steelers, a team that just defeated the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo in week one. So that was a really interesting Turn of affairs for the Raiders, John Gruden and Derek Carr, who would definitely come away as winners on this week. Carr actually ended up leaving this game with a slight injury, but came back in and just played one heck of a game. I mean, through two games right now, Derek Carr has 817 passing yards and four touchdowns against the Ravens and the Steelers defenses, two of the top units in the National Football League. So I think credit is deserved for this John Gruden coach team because they're much maligned. I mean, what's actually going on there with Mike Mayock and John Gruden? Some of their player selections are really, really head-scratching. They have former top five picks who are healthy scratches from just a couple years ago. But, I mean, Derek Carr was able to go 28 of 37 for 282 and two touchdowns in this game, actually utilizing their 2020 first-round pick for once, it seems like, Henry Ruggs III, who had a long 61-yard touchdown down catch and also had five receptions for 113 yards within that so the Raiders are now 2-0 and and you got to look around the league there's not a lot of undefeated teams there's only two in the AFC right now and they both happen to be in the AFC West and it's not the Chiefs it's the Raiders and the Broncos and then in the NFC South you have the Buccaneers and Panthers and then in the NFC West you have the Cardinals Rams and 49ers every other division at least every team in that division has one loss and the Giants have two, unfortunately, and no wins, but that's neither here nor there. This week was filled with a bunch of injuries, a lot of players who ended up getting dinged up. The severity of those injuries aren't quite known yet, but players like Tua Tungavailoa, the Miami Dolphins quarterback, ended up leaving the Buffalo game with an injury, and that game was just horrendous. Buffalo ended up putting a 35 to nothing beat down on them, and yes, they weren't using 
Tua because he was injured, but they were using Jacoby Brissett, a pretty established starter in the National Football League. But Miami's defense didn't really have an answer for Buffalo's offense, and Miami's offense couldn't get out of their own way. A lot of drop passes from Albert Wilson and Jakeem Grant, just a lot of sloppy, fundamentalist type of football. And then we also saw Buffalo's rushing attack take effect, which is something that is not necessarily a utilized aspect of their offense, unless it's Josh Allen's legs. But this time it was Devin Singletary who had a touchdown and Zach Moss who had two touchdowns, although Singletary probably looked a little bit better than Zach Moss who had a bad fumble in the first half of that game. But there were other injuries too. Jarvis Landry left the 31-21 victory over the Houston Texans where also, Tyrod Taylor left that game, and that game was actually competitive when Tyrod Taylor was the quarterback. He rushed a touchdown in, and you could see he was kind of ginger walking off the field. He ended up coming back onto the field when the offense had the football, and then he ended up leaving, and Sills had to come in, and, and it was just downhill from there for Houston, a team that did not have a lot of expectations coming into the NFL, rightfully so. The roster does not have a lot of talent on it, especially with... Deshaun Watson going through his situation at the moment, but they were able to be competitive for most of this game against Cleveland. And then LaVisca Chenault also left the Jacksonville's 23-13 loss to the Denver Broncos, and other injuries just included Baker Mayfield, Derek Carr, Christian McCaffrey, DK Metcalf, Dalvin Cook, Daryl Henderson, and Mike Evans. All of those players ended up returning to the field. Carson Wentz also went down for the Colts. He's a player who Ended up leading the game for Jacob Eason to come in to throw an interception and could not lead the Rams back into that Colts affair. But just monitor all these situations, and I'm sure by the time you're listening to this, we may have a little bit more clarity on what's actually going on there. Now, I think some of the more interesting games of the slate were in the 4-425 window, because honestly, I was watching Red Zone without the Giants on. And while I was watching Red Zone at the 1 o'clock window, it was kind of boring, kind of a snooze fest for a lot of it. But that 4 o'clock window was really, really entertaining with the Cowboys unfortunately defeating the Los Angeles Chargers 20-17. to The Tampa Bay Buccaneers putting it on Atlanta 48-25 to despite the fact that they had two garbage defensive touchdowns at the end of the game. It was actually kind of close before that. Now I don't want to call them garbage, but it was just like Atlanta forgot how to play offense. And Atlanta actually established some sort of offense with Cordero Patterson at running back, which was um, a little bit different. I know they've been trying to use that, but it wasn't as much Mike Davis. It was much more Cordero Patterson, especially in the red zone, which is frustrating for Mike Davis fantasy owners. And then Minnesota at Arizona. Now, the Minnesota at Arizona game, 34-33, Vikings lose in Glendale. And the Vikings did everything correctly down the stretch of this game to put themselves into position to win it. But their field goal kicker, Greg Joseph, botched the 37-yard field goal, sent it wide right, you know, just like Norwood back in the Super Bowl for the New York Giants. And it was the Arizona Cardinals that ended up winning this football game. And I got to tell you, man, this Arizona Cardinals team is just exciting to watch because Kyler Murray, yeah, he threw two boneheaded picks in the third and fourth quarter of this game, but he had 400 yards passing, was 29 of 36, had three touchdowns with his arm, one with his legs. He's always a threat to run the football. He extemporizes plays so well. And this team has so many weapons. 
DeAndre Hopkins had a touchdown, but after that, he was relatively quiet. It was Rondell Moore, the rookie out of Purdue, who had seven catches for 114 yards and a touchdown. Max Williams, the big tight end, who was drafted out of the University of Minnesota a while back by the Baltimore Ravens, didn't really pan out there, and now he's a Cardinal. He had seven catches and seven targets for 94 yards. Christian Kirk had a huge 35-yard catch on a cover zero call on an important third down situation against the Vikings. It was just really, really fun to watch this Cardinals offense just maneuver. And then when you watch their defense too, they have Chandler Jones, they have J.J. Watt, they have Isaiah Simmons, they have Zayvon Collins, a rookie linebacker under Tulsa, and they have probably one of the best defensive backs in the National Football League from a technical standpoint in Buda Baker, who's a little bit undersized, but he's incredibly incredibly physical and smart on the back end of defenses. And on the flip side, watching the Vikings, I mean, their offense just ran through Dalvin Cook, who had 22 carries for 131 yards. To open the game, Kirk Cousins found K.J. Osborne on a 64-yard wheel route off play action, and it was just fireworks going on, similar to the Sunday night football game with the Chiefs in Baltimore. It was a offensive just output from both of these teams. And it was really fun to watch. Unfortunately for the Minnesota Vikings, they put themselves in the position to win, but kickers have to make kicks. You have to execute. Execution is everything. The New York Giants know that. And unfortunately for the Vikings, the Cardinals' defensive line does not jump into the neutral zone, a la the New York Giants on Thursday Night Football. So they did not, the Vikings, that is, get another opportunity to kick that 37-yard field goal, and the Cardinals end up leaving the stadium with the win. Then this... Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, Trust Atlassian Software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200 or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR and legal, can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This Cowboys Chargers game was one of the worst officiated games I've seen in a while. It was just very, very slow because there were so many flags and so many penalties being thrown. I mean, the Chargers were penalized 12 times for 99 yards, Dallas 8 for 76. And a lot of these penalties were 
just very ticky tacky or just very questionable in general. I mean, the one penalty where Jerron Curse of the Cowboys was called for a pass interference on Jared Cook and the ball got tipped up and intercepted by Dallas. They called it back and said it was pass. It was not pass. There was no. There was hardly any contact there. I don't know how these refs end up seeing these types of things. And that went against Dallas, but there were also calls that went against the Chargers. It was back and forth between the officiating crew screwing over each of those teams. And the one that comes to my mind is the Justin Herbert sack. It wasn't even a penalty, but Justin Herbert's backpedaling with about 5.30 left in the game. It's a second and goal situation, and the Chargers are down by three. And Herbert ends up way, way back, away from the line of scrimmage. And... He tosses the football, but the refs ruled that his forward progress had been stopped, even though he was throwing the football, and they ruled it a sack. And I just don't understand exactly why that was ruled a sack. And this wasn't the only game with bad officiating, to be honest, because you look at the Seattle and the Tennessee game, that officiating was pretty horrendous. That Julio Jones catch at the end of the first half, that was a touchdown. It was ruled a touchdown on the field, and yet they overturned it. And it seems like this... This league this year doesn't want to overturn as many calls. I don't understand how they overturned that because there were camera angles where you can kind of clearly see Julio Jones' second foot in before it touches the white line. So I think that was a horrendous call. And I also think the safety on Russell Wilson in overtime, it would have been a really fun way for the overtime game to end for Tennessee. You ended up getting the win anyway, so it's irrelevant. But how was that not a safety on Russell Wilson? He was in the end zone, he was sacked, he threw the football to which it should have been some sort of intentional grounding or some sort of ruled safety if his forward momentum was stopped because he was wrapped up at least, more so than Justin Herbert was. I don't know. I just I felt like that game was a, was really, really slow. I saw a lot of people talking about it on Twitter, so I'm not the only one with that takeaway. But it was disappointing to see Dallas end up winning that close game against a, a formidable team in the Chargers, a team that the Giants are going to have to see at some point this season as well. And it was a hard-earned road win for the Cowboys who had just done really well on the ground to be honest because Tony Pollard had 13 carries for 109 yards and a touchdown in this game Zeke had 16 carries for 71 yards and a touchdown as well and they were doing a lot offensively they were using jet sweeps to enhance their running game they were really attacking the short and intermediate parts of the field. Amari Cooper was kind of shut out for most of the game. He only had three catches for 24 yards, but a lot of short passes to C.D. Lamb, a lot of short passes and just spreading the football around to the tight ends. And then Cedric Wilson, who's also in there because Michael Gallup is out on IR with the injury right now. And then on the Chargers side of the football, Mike Williams had a really, really good game. He had more targets than Keenan Allen, double digits. He had 10 targets, caught seven of them for 91 yards and a touchdown. And every time you look up at red zone, he's doing something down the field. I mean, his longest catch was only 27 yards, but I feel like he had a lot of catches within that area of the field. And he's just kind of coming into his own finally. He was a top 10 pick along with John Ross and Corey Davis. Both of those two receivers are no longer on the team that drafted them, but he's still there with Los Angeles having a really good season. And if he stays healthy, this could be a really potent passing attack for Justin Herbert. Austin Eckler was also in this game. He got took a pretty bad hit from one of the Dallas secondary pieces and ended up leaving the game briefly, which, and this was towards the end of the game, was what seemed like it could have been a head injury. So that's something to just monitor. But overall, this game was a lot slower than many people anticipated. This game had a, I think, 53.5 over-under 
something like that at some point this week, and it only scored 37 points, so it let down from an offensive standpoint. But this other 4 o'clock game definitely didn't, and that was Tom Brady and the Atlanta Falcons squaring up, and the Falcons kind of got their butt kicked a decent amount in this game, but there was a point of this game when it was close. I mean, Tampa Bay came out just slinging. They were up 14-0. They went into halftime 21-10, and then at one point it was 28-10 after a four-play 18-yard drive where Mike Evans caught a fade ball from Tom Brady on the one-yard line. But then all of a sudden, the Falcons were able to mount a couple offensive drives. Kyle Pitts was doing really, really well he didn't have a touchdown or anything, but he was doing really well in the short to intermediate parts of the field. Matt Ryan was much better this week than he was against the Philadelphia Eagles. And these touchdowns were capped off by Calvin Ridley and then Cordero Patterson, who had a really ridiculous touchdown. But then towards the end of the game in the fourth quarter when the Falcons had the football and it was a 10-point game, Matt Ryan got really, really reckless through two pick sixes to the Falcons. Falcons also turned the ball over on downs. So it was um not great fourth quarter football from the Falcons who are probably going to be a team picking in the top five similar to a lot of other teams the Jets I mean I hope the Giants are not in that conversation I feel like the Giants are a better football team than that but as of right now being 0-2 losing the way they did I can see a lot of people putting them there in their power rankings I feel like they're a little bit better than that but they got to prove it on the field and they got to win football games because it has not been pretty at least they established some offense but here I am talking about the Giants we'll save that for the Chris and Joe show but the Buccaneers right now Tom Brady this dude is 44 years old and he's slinging the man threw for five touchdowns 276 yards passing I mean that's so efficient 24 of 36 no interceptions he just keeps hooking up with his buddy Rob Gronkowski for multiple touchdowns in a game Gronk had two touchdowns was four for 39 Chris Godwin had a touchdown four for 62 Antonio Brown only had one catch for 17 yards much quieter than many anticipated but Tom Brady was spreading the football around I mean he hit several different receivers Tyler Johnson Cameron Bray Rojo Geo, Antonio Brown OJ Howard Leonard Fournette Rob Gronkowski Mike Evans Chris Godwin they all caught passes from Tom Brady. He's just spreading the wealth down there in Tampa Bay as they end up going 2-0 in the season, sharing that spot atop of the NFC South with the Carolina Panthers, who are also 2-0. They were able to run the football, control the clock against the Saints, and just keep the Saints offense off the field. The Saints offense just couldn't do a lot, and to their credit, they're missing several coaches because of COVID protocol right now. But Jameis Winston only threw the football 22 times despite the fact that they were trailing most of the game. Alvin Kamara had five yards on the ground on eight carries. It's just Carolina jumped out to an early lead in this game. Sam Darnold looked very, very solid, I would say. I mean, he found Brandon Zolstra on the first drive of the game. Later on in the first half, he ends up finding DJ Moore. And Christian McCaffrey was somebody who was involved, tackled a lot down by the one-yard line, and then ended up punching the football into the end zone a little bit later in the game. I mean, when you have a player like Christian McCaffrey, you got to use him. And the Panthers know that full well. He had 24 carries in this game for 72 yards and also caught five passes for 65, despite the fact that he was cramping up pretty significantly in the fourth quarter and had to keep leaving the game for Chuba Hubbard, the rookie out of Oklahoma State, who had eight carries for 10 yards. But Sam Darnold now 2-0, much different atmosphere than the New York Jets, the team that he beat last week here in Carolina, but Carolina has not played on the road yet. Carolina ends up 
traveling to Houston and then to Dallas. So two straight games in Texas for the next two weeks. Two games that you expect them to win against the Texans. You don't really expect them to win against Dallas, but anything can happen. So kudos to the Sam Darnold-led Carolina Panthers with Matt Rule. Another game I think we should touch on is the Chicago Bears getting their first win of the season against the Cincinnati Bengals. This game was odd from the sense that it was never necessarily a blowout either way. It was a 20-17 to win for the Chicago Bears. And at halftime, it was 7-0 Chicago. But there was a point in this game when Cincinnati trailed 17-3. And at that time, this was around the time that Andy Dalton ended up leaving the game and Justin Fields came in because Andy Dalton, he has a knee injury. They don't know if it's going to be serious. Dalton was 9 of 11 for 56 yards and a touchdown. Justin Fields was 6 of 13 for 60 yards with an interception, but also added 10 carries for 31 yards. But there was a point in this game where Joe Burrow threw three consecutive passes, and all three of those passes were interceptions. The first one was an interception that he threw. It was tended to Tyler Boyd, and he didn't see Roquan Smith underneath. Smith caught it and returned it all the way for a touchdown. The next drive, they run the football to Joe Mixon on the first play, and then on the second and six, he tried to throw towards T. Higgins, but it was intercepted again. And then the next time they had the football, they come out with a pass, and it was intercepted yet again. I think it was just a remarkable turn of events. And to Joe Burrow's credit, after that interception, the next two drives, he came out there passing. He came out three passes in a row, taking deep shots to Jamar Chase before he ended up throwing a deep ball to Jamar Chase for a 42-yard touchdown. And then another touchdown pass he threw to T. Higgins towards the end of the game after the Bengals defense intercepted Justin Fields. And it made this game really close. I mean, 20-17, to 17, you look at the team's stats collectively, the time of possession was about even. Cincinnati outgained Chicago a little bit, but Cincinnati just couldn't stop turning the football over. And even with those turnovers, the Bears hardly, barely won this football game. So I think you look at Cincinnati's situation at the moment. They're in a very, very tough division with the Ravens and the Steelers, both whom are 1-1 one and one right now, same record as the Cincinnati Bengals, and the Cleveland Browns, who are also 1-1. One and one. And they got to play Pittsburgh next week in Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh isn't the team I think that many expected coming into this season. I don't know how much Ben Roethlisberger has left in his arm. They're struggling to run the football. Najee Harris is an amazing talent. But Cincinnati can win against Pittsburgh. I don't think that's crazy to think or to say. This Pittsburgh Steelers defense, I think it has some holes on the back end, despite the fact that they have a very, very good front, and they have Minka Fitzpatrick back there, but I think the cornerbacks can be exposed a little bit against this Cincinnati passing attack. I don't expect Cincinnati to win, but I would not be shocked, but then after that, they have Jacksonville, the Packers, and then they're at the Lions, and then they have the Jets two games after that, so they have some easier winnable games. I don't think the Bengals are a playoff team or anything like that, but I do think They could possibly make some things interesting if they stay healthy because Joe Burrow definitely shows resilience. This kid can make mistakes and then he can bounce back from said mistakes. Speaking of mistakes, the New England Patriots put the the work, I guess you could say, on Zach Wilson, rookie quarterback, which isn't a surprise because we know Bill Belichick's track record against young quarterbacks. And the Patriots beat the Jets 25-6 and Zach Wilson threw four interceptions in this game and it wasn't like Mac Jones was bombing the ball down the field or anything they had a pretty conservative approach 16 carries for 62 yards and a touchdown for Damian Harris James White also had a touchdown on the ground they were really just throwing short against this Jets 
team and, and not looking to stretch the field and just kind of walk away with a win. I mean, they jumped out to an early 10 nothing lead, so there's also that to kind of uh, take into account here as to why the Patriots weren't kind of opening up their offense. But <laughs> Bill Belichick really gives fits to these younger quarterbacks, and a lot of people have linked this game for Zach Wilson to the Sam Darnold game on Monday Night Football against the New England Patriots back in 2019 when he said he was seeing ghosts, quote-unquote, seeing ghosts. So Zach Wilson didn't look like he was necessarily seeing ghosts. There was, I think, two of those interceptions were probably definitely his fault. There was another one that wasn't. And the other one, I guess, it, it, you know, it, it probably could be assigned to him just a little bit. But he's a young quarterback. I think this year is going to be a little bit rough for the New York Jets, as are a lot of years. But this kid has some rare arm talent and I think if Robert Salah and Joe Douglas surround him with the right playmakers, the right system, and give him a, a defense that's probably a little bit better than the defense that they have now, then the Jets could be a team that can actually be respectable in the future. If Salah ends up proving himself as a coach, which, I mean, he's two years into or two games into his head coaching career. I mean, I think he carries himself well. I think he says all the right things, similar to Joe Judge, but that doesn't always translate to wins. And then another game I wanted to touch on before we get out of here is the Rams winning 27-24 to against the Indianapolis Colts. And this game was unfortunate for the Colts' goal line offense. On the first play or first drive of this game, the Colts drove down the field 11 plays for 49 yards and got down to the one-yard line where they were stuffed three consecutive times trying to run up the middle with Jonathan Taylor against Aaron Donald and this just incredible defense the Rams have and then on fourth and goal at the one they tried to do a play action and Carson Wentz was sacked for a loss of nine by Leonard Floyd two drives later when the Rams have the football a similar thing happens they're down at the three yard line and instead of trying to run on third down which that's what they did before after getting the ball up to the three yard line Carson Wentz went to pass but it was one of those shovel passes that we see Andy Reid and the Chiefs run all the time where Carson Wentz opens up to the right with a running back running to the flat trying to sell a flat route and then he shovel passes it to the tight end and the tight end was Jack Doyle but it was read really well by the Rams and intercepted and the Rams end up winning this football game only by three and those are two possessions where the Colts just screwed up their offense at that point of the field I mean at worst case scenario they don't turn the football over there they get six points there instead of 14, and this is a whole different game and a whole different story, but instead Frank Reich and the Colts dropped to 0-2 because their offense was really inefficient near the goal line. I mean, they're going up against a really, really good defense, and it's hard to score against defenses when they're when they're backed up like that. They have so many different playmakers and, 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 and talented guys like Jalen Ramsey on that defense. So I, I can see why it's difficult, but you can't make mistakes – like that Carson Wentz and you have to finish especially if you have an offensive line as good as the Indianapolis Colts have I mean they have Clinton Nelson back they got Ryan Kelly but they just couldn't punch it in against Aaron Donald and that's why Aaron Donald is one of the best but I think a bright spot in this game other than the coffee narrative that is obviously you know Matt Stafford Cooper Cup they go out they get coffee according to Sunday Night Football how Michaels was raving about it how they get to the facility before everybody and have breakfast together drink on some coffee talk about football well guess what that translates to 11 targets 9 catches for 163 yards and 2 touchdowns Cup should have had 2 touchdowns last week too but he was tackled at the 1 yard line he ended up with 1 touchdown 
And Robert Woods still had nine targets in this game, caught five of them for 64. But Cooper Cup is the main receiving weapon, the main threat on this offense. And he's really benefiting from the fact that him and Matt Stafford eat breakfast together. So, you know, I'm all about this coffee narrative that's being uh, discussed. I really hope Daniel Jones and Kenny Galladay end up, you know, going to get a cup of joe at Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks or wherever the heck they want to go because uh, that kind of rapport is uh, invaluable, as we can see. But Michael Pittman Jr. is somebody I want to talk about. The second-year wide receiver out of USC, second-round pick last year by the Colts, had a ho-hum rookie season in a bad passing offense last year with Phillip Rivers as the quarterback. But he had eight catches on 12 targets for 123 yards in this game against one of the best pass defenses in the league. Now, Jalen Ramsey wasn't following him, so it wasn't like he was just beating Jalen Ramsey, but he was doing a great job finding voids on stick type of routes on about six-yard curls, to be ironic enough, just in between zone coverage, middle hook zone coverage. Every time I watched, I saw that, but he was also getting open on sevens. He was getting hit on vertical routes. He hit for a 42-yard gain on one of his catches as well. So he's a player that I was high on coming out of the draft, and it looks like he had one of his small mini breakout games in a very very tough matchup at home and he's the de facto number one receiving target here I mean who else do they have Zach Pascal's a solid player who scores touchdowns he did in this game but he doesn't have the athletic upside or the receiving skills that Michael Pittman possesses T.Y. Hilton is hurt Paris Campbell didn't play in this game so Pittman is the guy in this offense him and Carson Wentz are also close buddies I'm not sure if they go and get coffee I I don't know their breakfast habits but Pittman Jr. is is definitely someone to monitor if you're into fantasy football and he's on your waiver wire because he had a disappointing week one because he has those athletic traits to be a true number one receiver with a quarterback who used to get a lot out of former playmakers that he had on his team whether that be tight ends running backs or receivers Carson Wentz has a big arm he doesn't always process everything all that well and he's injured right now but if he comes back healthy Pittman Jr. the number one receiver on an offense that isn't inept I think in some fantasy football formats he's definitely someone to look into and possibly pick up and I mean I'm just witnessed this Kansas City Chiefs game and this Baltimore Ravens victory, this 36-35 to victory by the Ravens where Clyde Edwards-Elair just put the ball on the ground right before Harrison Bucker could trot on out there and kick the ball between the uprights. That's a devastating loss and a devastating mistake by Clyde Edwards-Elair. And the Ravens, I mean, good on them to get a win. That's an important victory. Now the Chiefs join the Chargers as the only teams in the AFC West with the loss, but we all know the Chiefs are the Chiefs and they can easily bounce back and just do incredibly crazy things to win football games Pat Mahomes almost did that in this game as well I mean some of the touchdowns he threw the one to Byron Pringle Pringle made an excellent catch and run on that play the Travis Kelsey play was another catch and run crazy touchdown and uh, Tyree Kill was shut down in this game I mean three catches for 14 yards the Demarcus Robinson had a long touchdown catch of 33 yards there's just so many weapons and so much speed on this team that I couldn't imagine being a fan of a team this exciting with a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes to be honest with you and now they get to play the Chargers at Arrowhead next week before traveling to Philadelphia to play the Eagles the Ravens I mean credit to them 36 to 35 short week they end up getting this win I mean it was gifted to them 
by Clyde Edwards Elaire, but they still did so much in the fourth quarter to put themselves in that position. I mean, Lamar Jackson had those two rushing touchdowns. They were just running the football down the Chiefs' throats, so they earned every bit of this win. So kudos to the Baltimore Ravens for getting that W. And also, man, you think about their ability to run the football, despite the fact that they lost J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, and Justice Hill. They are doing this with Devonta Freeman, who had a huge, huge run. I mean, that just speaks to scheme. That speaks to Greg Roman, this offensive line, the threat of Lamar Jackson, which is probably the, the main reason as to why this happens because when you have to worry about him on the backside or up the A-gap, an A-gap power or whatever the Ravens want to do because he's so versatile and athletic, when you have to worry about him, then it allows the rest of the players on the offense to gain an edge on the defense because you have to account for the skill set of somebody as talented as Lamar Jackson. But Ravens travel to Detroit, and then they travel to Denver. So they have two straight away games coming up. All right, everybody, this has been a brief overview of Falato on football here on the Big Blue View Radio Network, just discussing all the main talking points from week two. We at Big Blue View, we're excited to look forward to see the New York Giants take on the Atlanta Falcons next week, a team that just lost pretty badly to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. A very winnable game for the New York Giants. We'll be breaking it down extensively over at Big Blue View and here on this podcast network, the Big Blue View Radio Network. I am Nicholas Filato. Everyone take care of yourselves and have a lovely one.